Welcome to the Serve Conscious Podcast, where people and companies can learn the inner game of service and tap into the fullest power of the service opportunity. So join me and let's master the service mindset together and up-level service the world over. And I encourage you to check out my partner, the Institute for Organizational Mindfulness, which is on a mission to help people and companies to incorporate mindfulness into their culture and raise performance, efficiency, general happiness, and everything that we want from going to work. So link is in the show notes for you to go deeper into that as well as the mindful service movement. All right, let's get started. Hey friends, how are you? Welcome, welcome. Man, it's been a weird few months. I can't put my finger on exactly what's been weird about it. I just think that I've been going through what a lot of teachers go through. At least I hope that they go through. I think it's an important passage to make periodically along your journey as somebody that helps others. And that event often looks something like a crisis of just wondering if you're like really helping people, wondering if you're making a difference, wondering if you are providing people with something that they actually need. And when you're teaching something that involves mindfulness and working on untangling this incredibly complex and unruly thing known as the human mind and all of the emotions and oppressive streams of thinking that get flung around our experience. You wonder as a teacher, they've chosen me to help them with what I think is like the most important problem that one has and the core problem that is responsible for all the other problems is the guidance providing them with enough progress or even any progress at all. And I doubt this because this is a doubt that anyone practicing these things is going to doubt as well. And even myself, after practicing for over a decade, I'm going to ask, am I a better person than I would have been if I wasn't meditating and practicing mindfulness? Now, this is all just a thought that comes up. It's not the truth, and it's not genuine self-doubt, and it's not enough to really derail me or even mess with my confidence as a teacher. But these are doubts that the mind creates, because that's what the mind does, and mindfulness helps you just notice these as just simply thoughts, not necessarily the truth. And it's also good to notice that any of these thoughts that involve doubting yourself, if you're having them too, like, am I actually an improved version of myself, or am I the same old piece of crap? That I've always been. Notice that these thoughts come up every time you do something that you don't like. Like you just lashed out at someone even though you're trying not to do that anymore, or you lost focus and did something stupid and messed something up or dropped something even though you're trying to be more present and plugged into your work. And the default conclusion to that is, oh, I'm just the same old person because some pattern has shown itself that I've always had. But just know that those patterns, which come from far away long ago in your life, right? They will come along for the ride, even though you are growing and blossoming and evolving as a person in so many other ways. And just because they crash the party occasionally, 
It doesn't mean that you're moving backwards or you haven't made any progress these last year, five years, 10 years. And it's really important to check in and appreciate everything about yourself that you've brought attention to growing and improving and how far that truly has come. And I promise you, just peeking at this, you will see a whole abundance of growth and changes, even if you're just starting out. And that it doesn't take much to make profound change. It doesn't take a big shift for the trajectory of your life to head in a profound new direction. And I remember that as a teacher, because I am a teacher that, that gives too much sometimes, too much information, too much explanation. And maybe some of you out there really like that, and I hope that it's providing you with a lot. But it is also good to remember that people don't need that much sometimes. They just need a little seed planted, and their own brilliance takes it the rest of the way. And this is something to remember for you and your customers uh, as you continue to serve, that they don't need that much. And what I mean by that is not they don't need you to care that much or they don't need that much service. People are usually not getting enough service. They definitely need as much service and care as you can give them. What they may not need is as much information as you want to give them. And they may not need you to make every decision for them. Leave them space. Where appropriate, leave them space to figure things out themselves. They will feel better about those results. Those will be results they can own because they helped co-create them, right? For the over-deliverers out there, I was one of them, and I'm still teaching like that sometimes. I worked in restaurants and bars. People would ask me, a simple question about something, and I would give them the entire anthropological history of it. They did not need that. <laughs> they needed an answer that helped them make a decision in that moment. A few simple qualities that would resonate with them is all they really need to hear. And on a social level, too. I talk lots about the fact that some people are coming looking for that connection, looking for more than just the, hi, what do you need? Let me get it for you. What technical problem can I solve for you? Okay, done. Goodbye. They need something more human. But often they don't need everything that we feel like giving them. They don't need us to, like, unlock the entire storage room of opinions and experiences we had that day. And maybe the kind of stuff we'd throw on the lap of a friend when we're conversing with them. They might just need some kind words, a smile, some acknowledgement of what they're going through and then a prompt pivot into some sort of professional support. We don't want people to work harder than they have to, being in our presence. That was important for me to remember, because some people find it very exhausting talking to other people. Even if it's conversation about the weather or the news or getting to know each other, it's just a lot for some people, especially if they're highly introverted. So it's really good to take that temperature. Like, are they like inspired and like charged up to be talking and sharing? Or is it something that they seem to be just sort of tolerating and going along with politely? And taking someone's temperature like this might be natural for you. It wasn't natural for me, not until I started learning mindfulness. Mindfulness for me was learning how to be a human being. Other people get different things from a practice like that because it's a practice about, you know, mastering all of the difficulties the human mind brings us, all of the unmanageable aspects of having this complex thing called the human mind. 
And for me, I struggled socially very much. I struggled understanding others, understanding what they were feeling, and knowing how to show up for them. I mean, I had plenty of defaults. I could just rattle off whatever I felt like chatting about. But is that what somebody needs? You don't know that until you're paying attention to things like their emotional weather and stuff that they're not going to tell you. It's just, it's a state that they're in that you need to read. And thinking back to why I started Serve Conscious and really what I wanted to help people with, it involved bringing mindful practices, many other practices, but the core is mindful practices to customer service in a particular way to help with particular challenges that I was facing. And those challenges centered around navigating the emotional landscape of human beings that I was serving. That was the chasm I had to cross because everything else could be in check. I could be following exact protocol. I could know everything about a product or service. I could have the most eloquent description of it. I could know the answer to every problem or question. But despite that, people would still act the way they acted. They would be unsatisfied. They would be cruel or condescending, even though all I wanted to do was help them and bring happiness to their experience. And I can't resent a single person for this because human beings have more complex needs than, you know, information and problem solving. People need to be met on a deeper emotional level. And I didn't understand that terrain whatsoever. And funny thing is, I thought that I was screwed. I believe that this is something that you couldn't learn. It was just some natural Jedi-like intuition that you were born with or not. Or it was something that girls do better than boys, or the cool charismatic people of this earth somehow tapped into some arcane secret that I'll never have access to. But that turned out to be nonsense. And actually, any belief that anything is just a natural gift and not learnable turns out not to be true when you learn how to cultivate it and then simply practice it in a dedicated manner. And actually, not even that. This stuff naturally blossomed in me when I began taking care of my mind and body more, when I began meditating, when I began bringing more awareness to everything that I did, I became more in tune with the emotional life of others and my own emotional life. And those two are interrelated. If you're aware of your own emotions, navigating the feeling states of others becomes second nature. So working on this became twofold for me, like directly working on my social skills. And social skills really are just understanding of emotions. Emotional awareness, that is a social skill. There's nothing like tricky about it, like knowing the coolest, sexiest thing to say. No, it's actually knowing how to pay attention and listen and respond to what somebody really needs, which is expressed through their feeling state. Simple practices that I've given you throughout the life of this podcast. But then there's also just creating the conditions so that all of this just happens naturally. And that has to do with your own self-care program. Your mental and emotional state needs to be healthy and willing to play the social game. Otherwise, you're just performing. And it'll be strained and people will most likely be able to detect it. 
unless you're me 10, 15 years ago, <laughs> totally oblivious and in their heads. But, and thinking back, this is absolutely true for me, just because someone like me 10 or 15 years ago wouldn't be consciously aware of something like that. Like consciously aware means you've noticed it and you've noted it like, ah, this is happening. Just because it's not in your conscious awareness doesn't mean you're not responding to it. Because most of our experience happens from the tango of our subconscious elements, our subconsciously felt states. So you're in a bad mood, someone else becomes in a bad mood, and they don't know why. We're all a bunch of atmospheres bouncing off of each other, intermingling, causing storms in one causing sunlight in others. So have your atmosphere in check by having a program. I'll leave a link in the show notes to practices for meditating daily and also dealing with any struggles as they come up. Because a day without struggle is a day not spent as a human being. I don't know where your consciousness was. It wasn't in a human body. If you didn't run to some kind of discomfort, right? Some kind of tension of some sort. So that's why I started Surf Conscious. Not because everyone in my industry were struggling with exactly the same limitations I had. Some people were not the hyper-intellectual neurotic mess that I was. They were really living from their hearts. And to this day are probably more socially capable than I am. But they were suffering nonetheless. The mental and emotional strain of the environment affected them. It was actually interesting to watch a lot of people in these environments because different aspects of the daily grind affect different people in different ways. What will crush one person might not even phase another person and vice versa. But either way, any service environment is sort of filled with all of these little spears <laughs> getting hurled at you and some penetrate the armor and some don't, right? Some bounce right off or just miss because you're oblivious to them. Either way, we're all struggling with the same things being threatened. Our dignity as human beings. Our need for a sense that what we do matters. That people respect and appreciate us. That we bring value to a situation. That we belong in our work environment. That we belong in the lives of our customers. That they actually want us there helping them. That we're not just an annoyance. How many annoying customer service rep or annoying waiter archetypes have you seen portrayed in films and thought, am I one of those? I don't want to be one of those. So I'm just talking about these basic threats to our sense of wholeness, to our sense of ourselves, to our sense of general safety, being a human being that are under attack every day in this environment. Those threats show up differently to everybody. Your mind will interpret every situation differently, but the net effect of those unwanted experiences is pain. Almost everyone in that environment experiences it to some degree, whether or not they're willing to admit it. But I certainly was, regardless of how emotionally literate I was, at some point I was able to acknowledge the fact that I was feeling pain. Whatever it was, wherever it came from, there was a lot about my workplace experience that sucked. And when I'm facing an obstacle, I'm letting myself down if I don't put my attention and energy into that obstacle. Because that obstacle is crying out for attention. It's saying, you need tools. You need growth in this area so that you're no longer suffering every time this obstacle comes up. 
This is evolution. This is how evolution works in nature. We are organisms that are designed to come up against obstacles and adapt to those obstacles so that we are thriving more. That is how nature rewards adaptation. The winners struggle less and thrive more. The losing members of the evolutionary game take their problems for granted, thinking this is just how it is. It sucks. It's hard. There's nothing I can do about it. And they continue to suffer and complain. And I worked in the customer service environment for years, surrounded by attitudes like this. And when I found the tools, meditation and mindfulness, to have a totally different relationship to these challenges than they did, I at first judged them for not having the resources I did, for not being willing to improve their situation, for just, you know, lying back and admitting defeat, grumbling without looking to improve any situation, doing exactly what I was doing maybe moments before, <laughs> but somehow I felt I could justify judging somebody for doing exactly what I was willing to do until I decided not to. So yeah, even now, years later, I don't judge anybody without the willingness to change their situation because that's exactly what I was doing for years. And I gave myself every reason in the world to do that. So I totally understand why anyone's in that situation because I chose to be in that situation. And I still catch myself in that situation all the time today. I'll suddenly snap to realizing that I've been struggling with something when I have the tools to change the situation and improve it. This is what the mind does. It's called normalization. It's a survival mechanism. It's not evolutionary, so to speak. It's not going to make you blossom into new possibilities and capabilities, but it will get you by without suffering even more than you currently are. Because if you are dealing with an obstacle, it is sometimes easier and safer to just think to yourself, well, that's just the way things are, and with the right emotional strategies, I can tolerate it. And those strategies aren't really very effective, but they are strategies nonetheless. For example, let's say your boss is abusive. One of the emotional strategies might be you telling yourself, maybe they won't be abusive tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I won't do anything to upset them. That kind of hope that strings you along, a bad dynamic, a bad situation that needs bigger change in order to overcome. Actually, acknowledging how much this really affects you, how much this depletes your well-being, can at first be a much more uncomfortable reality than just pretending like it doesn't bother you or telling yourself that it's going to go away one day. And I totally understand. It's agonizing, sometimes even terrifying, to acknowledge the reality of a situation when you don't have the tools to deal with it. Because at first, we'll burden ourselves with the responsibility of changing too many things. Like, once you acknowledge that change is needed, you might think, I have to somehow change my boss. I have to somehow change my job. I have to somehow change how I respond to this situation. I have to make myself not react to it. But actually, that's just going to make it unmanageable and not something that you're even willing to look at. And also, it's just not possible or practical to change any of these things. 
We avoid wanting to make change a lot of the time because we think we have to change our circumstances and we know how impossible that is. Or that we radically have to change ourselves and we know how difficult that is too, right? Well, I've found meeting difficulties so much easier because I don't put that on myself. I don't create any expectations of such radical change. Meeting an obstacle is simply an invitation to know yourself better. And as a takeaway from today's episode, here's the process you can go through when you come up against something that seems like an obstacle or a struggle or something that needs to shift. What is it that I'm feeling in response to this? And then fill in the blanks in this sentence. I'm feeling this because blank is important to me. Being respected, valued, supported, creative, whatever is important to me. When you dial that in, take a moment to honor and celebrate these things that you value because they are absolutely the fabric of a human being. You might notice yourself mourning the fact that these things that you value aren't being supported, but channel that into celebrating the fact that you do value these things and you know that you value these things and that you have the power to meet these needs somehow in your life. And thirdly, imagine a version of you where this need is fulfilled and you're a more settled and realized version of yourself as a result. If this version of you were to turn around and tell you exactly what you need to hear, what would they say to help you through this? It might be, do this. (laughs) Or it might be, it's okay because you're still awesome because of this. Who knows? This is your process. Either way, take this as a reminder that you are capable of acknowledging when things are more difficult than they need to be in your life and that you're able to face them because you can be a resource for yourself when you do. As in you're just not simply left in a state of despair where you're just acknowledging how horrible your life is and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what you can do about it. That process. That'll start changing the trajectory of your life. Like I said earlier, you just make a small shift, a small tweak, a couple new realizations, and the trajectory of your life changes. What you're capable of handling and doing changes. And the better you get at meeting your challenges like this, your emotional challenges, because that's what we're talking about here. These are emotional challenges. Something's happening that doesn't feel good. Now you know how to meet it in a way where you can gather wisdom and begin to adapt to it and make necessary changes in your life. The better you get at doing this for yourself, the better you get at doing this for the people you're serving, which is also in the pantheon of reasons why I started Serve Conscious. Service is an inner game. What you learn about yourself translates into capabilities of serving people in new ways that will absolutely enchant and inspire them. And this inner game isn't taught. You can't expect to get it from most people that are mentoring or guiding you in this industry. They're giving you other skills that you will certainly need, but most likely they're not teaching you to know yourself better such that you can know your customers better. But once again, whether they know it or not, their capacity to serve better came from them learning about themselves, came from them 
gaining some more mastery over their own mental and emotional state. So therefore, I started a platform that focused entirely on these things that no one was getting from anywhere else, but were the absolute lifeblood of their growth and thriving in the industry that they're in. All right, thanks so much. We've got a wonderful interview coming up. Next episode, I am talking to the authors of Dark Cockpit, and they actually took the communication and leadership strategies of a decorated pilot and channeled them into business leadership. Whether you are actually in a leadership role or part of a team where your voice can really make a big difference if used skillfully, this interview will give you so much. It was such an awesome conversation. So definitely check that out. Either way, I will bid you adieu and point you to the Serve Conscious homepage, www.serveconscious.com, where you can get on the mailing list and get all this content dropped into your mailbox when it comes out, as well as getting access to deeper learning that will totally transform your service game from the inside out. All right, thanks so much. Take it easy.